You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Serena Anthony, Chief People Officer at Group M North America. Serena is an expert human resources management professional with over 20 years of experience working across complex ecosystems and demonstrating her true capabilities as an innovative thinker and change maker in the field. In her role at Group M, Serena designs and implements programs and support for their workforce all across North America. Under her leadership, the people operation at Group M challenges the conventional role of human resources to more holistically reflect an operation focused on the needs and well-being of its people and implementing new approaches and initiatives to tackle diversity, inclusion, and talent equity across the board. So in this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Serena discuss Serena's career in HR, her biggest learnings from CBC having a front row seat when the company was going through the Gian Gomeshi scandal, some creative strategies on how to effectively work with union and build trust and relationships, empathetic leadership and how to deal with mass layoffs and how to ensure a company is aligned with your personal values and is likely to be a place you'd be proud to call home. This episode was sponsored by Empyrean, a top-tier HR technology company that empowers organizations to build a better culture by connecting employees to meaningful, life-enriching benefits. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today we have Serena Anthony, Chief People Officer, North America for Group M. Serena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ron, for having me. I'm happy to be here. And thanks for for being a trooper. You're in LA right now, I think, right? I am enjoying my last day of sunshine. Well, well, yeah, I guess it's good. I mean, it's 6 a.m. there, so at least you're up early. You get a full day, right? That's correct. So Excellent. thank you for that. <laughs> and I know you're 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 just kind of starting to feel better. So thanks. I know you're a little under the weather, so so I appreciate you um, you stepping up to join us today. No, I was, I was, I'm, I was really looking forward to it. So there was no way I, I would, I would miss. Thank you. Oh, great, great. And, and, you know, we, we chatted just offline quickly. You've got a very interesting background. You, you really do. Um, so, so we've, we've introduced you formally, but put, let's give it some more color. Give me, you know, a few minutes, high level overview of your journey to get to where you are. Let's have, I think the listeners will find that quite interesting. Sure. Um, so I'm a, a, an HR sort of 20 year veteran. Um, I don't like saying that because it makes me feel old, um, <laughs> but I, I have been in the profession for quite some time. And I started uh, way back when, you know, when as a, as a university student, not really knowing what it is I, I wanted to do uh, with my life. And it was a, a job posting for Sony Music, actually, um, looking for an HR director that kind of piqued my interest. And, and the those were the days where we would see job postings in newspapers. And I, I, I saw this and I remember clipping it and thinking, you know, this, what they're looking for is exactly who I think I am. And, uh, you know, I think I want to, I think I want to move into the profession of, of HR. So I kind of pivoted. I was in, I was doing my bachelor of arts and I decided to do a specialization in, in human resources. I landed my first job, uh, HR job at Bell Canada, actually telecommunications and it was in the payroll department and sort of worked my way up from there. Um, I've had many, you know, short stints in HR. I, I've worked in, uh, you know, telecommunications. I've worked in 
uh, not-for-profit for the Children's Aid Society, uh, which I was not well suited for. It was a, a very emotional experience for me. Um, I, I, I loved it. It was rewarding, but um, very, very difficult for me emotionally. I moved on from that into an engineering consulting firm working um, at a company called Stantec Consulting. Very interesting to work with, with engineers. I helped build that practice. And then I ended up transitioning to where I probably spent the bulk of my career, um, which was the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So I ended up spending about 11 and a half years there. Um, and I grew professionally um, over those 12 years. I, I, was, I started as an HR business partner. I grew to management, then senior management. And I ended my career at the CBC as the head of people um, for uh, CBC uh, on the English services side. Um, that was a 95% unionized environment, very complicated matrix uh, organization. Uh, we went through quite a bit of change. We were obviously federally funded. So um, downsizing, cuts, having to reorganize was a, a big part of my remit. Um, a very large team under me. And, um, you know, we ended up with a big scandal at the CBC that many Canadians would know about um, related to Gian Gomeshi. Yes. Um, I just, I want to qualify that I was not involved in uh, that investigation at all. Um, but my boss at the time was, I was the senior director of, of people on the English services side. My boss, who um, was sort of leading that investigation, ended up uh, being exited following uh, that scandal. And there's you know, lots of perspectives related to that. Um, but once he left, I was promoted into the role behind him. Interesting. Um, yeah, and very shortly after that, uh, a new sort of leadership regime out of Quebec uh, came, uh, came in and uh, the vice president ended up wanting to make some substantial changes. And within a year, of her arrival, um, I was uh, let go. So I, I'd have to say that that was probably the biggest turning point in my career, um, very difficult. Uh, I was on such a trajectory, considered a very high potential employee, and I kind of felt like the rug had been ripped out from under me, not, not at all expected. And I think I took some time after that to pause to reflect, I had five-year-old identical twin girls at the time. Um, I think I had sworn to myself I was never going to go back to corporate. Uh, my values are really important to me, and I felt like, you know, the politics within a corporate environment didn't necessarily, um, you know, work for me. Mm -hmm. I ended up going into business for myself at that time, and ironically, all of my clients were ex-CBC executives who had gone on to do different things. Um, which was great. Uh, it meant that I was very busy, very fast. And, uh, you know, being in business for yourself can be quite lucrative. I had the flexibility to kind of manage my own time and schedule and still be a mom, um, which is my number one priority. And then, um, and then I had some people reach out about opportunities again, and I decided to entertain a couple. Uh, took a very short stint at a, at a tech company um, that lasted about three months. Again, I, I walked into something where I thought I would have a seat at the table. It didn't quite feel right. I knew I had made the wrong decision and, you know, the universe, the stars aligned. And I was approached about this job at Group M, which is where I am today. 
I'm very happy. I have found a home where my values are completely aligned. I ran the uh, Group M Canada People Function. I sort of made quite a bit of change when I got there. Um, and then I was approached by our global head um, who, uh, you know, I had a, a really great relationship with about, you know, taking on the North American function. And uh, so I went from leading a function of about 1,000 to 1,200 employees in Canada to now uh, overseeing North America, and we're about 7,500 strong. So uh, it's been a ride. You have had a ride. <laughs> it's been a ride. Um, yeah, like but I'm feeling, I'm feeling good about where I am right now. I don't want to jinx it, um, but I'm having a really good time. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, and, and, and I made some notes um, where, while you were going through. So at one point you said, that's who I thought I was way back early, right? You said, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that I feel that spoke, that's who I believed I was. What, tell me more about that. Who did you believe you were and why was that connected to HR? Sure. So I've always been a, a, a big extrovert. I get my energy from other people. Um, so people would have would have described me as, as as a people person. You know, traditional HR is where I started, and we know that the the function has evolved quite uh, quite a bit since then. Um, and and it was the you know we're looking for an empathetic leader who can rally the team, um, help build a a a, a structure um, that allows you know. The, the business to have a, a place to go to deal with their employee relations issues. And it was, th that was the descriptor at the time. And I just thought, that sounds like me. I, I mean, I'm, I was very young, uh, very right. naive. Like I could be a therapist. Right. <laughs> and, and that's who I thought I was. This is perfect for me. It was, it was a very short sighted, very naive sort of, and I, and because I was young and kind of clueless, I didn't, I didn't know where I wanted to, to go. I had no clue of what I wanted to do. I was doing a, a general arts degree, which uh, I think is, is amazing for, for everyone in a general arts program, but I didn't have a specialty. And, right. and, I, and I didn't, and, and so that, that I, it was a posting. It was literally that, that said, okay, let me just try this thing. And uh, 25, 20, 20 to 25 years later, I'm, I'm still here. Um, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so I want to go back to, to CBC for a sec. There's a few things that I'd like to discuss. And I, and maybe you're, you, you mentioned Gian Gameshi, you weren't directly involved. But what did no. you learn? What, what, like, what was the learning from you to say, oh, man, scandal? He, like, you know, obviously you had, you had a direct front row seat to this thing. What, what did you learn? What was the learning that you took forward? And because scandals can happen, you know, what, what did you yeah. learn from that? Oh, I learned so much. I learned so much. I think the biggest learning for me was, you know, we had a leader at that time who I, I, I still have a relationship with today, um, who had been put into the head of people function um, from a news role. So the, the, his entire career was a, in, in the capacity of a journalist and, and then a journalist who moved into management to lead um, other journalists, and and he grew in his career um, in in such big ways, and eventually was leading all of our news operation. And I can speak about this because it was very public at the time. Um, so he was leading news, CBC News, for for quite a few years, and because of his 
personality. So it's interesting because it kind of goes back to why I wanted to get into HR in the beginning. You know, he was this empath known empathetic leader, um, you know, very, very caring. Um, but he did have a news background. He did not have any formal HR training. Okay. And five minutes into sort of taking on this very big job for, a, you know, an organization of almost 10,000 people, he um, was handed on a silver platter what today people would describe as the most complicated um, yeah. HR file. I think there are there's coursework in universities tied to, to the Gomeshi scandal um, and had to lead it had to lead the investigation. And unfortunately, I, I would say he led it through the lens of his previous life, which is all he, he knew. And that was as a news sort of through the, uh, through the, the lens of a news executive. And, and what, what I learned in that scenario is, you know, if you don't leverage the expertise of the people around you, because I don't think you have to be a trained, um, subject matter expert practitioner to lead an operation or a function. I actually don't believe that. I think you can lead it, but you will only be successful if you're leveraging the expertise of the people around you. And, and I think that's where he, he, he fell short. He, he didn't do that. He ran with Trying to figure it out himself. Yeah, the story. And unfortunately, it ended very badly for him. And, and, and the, the CBC had to part ways because of the, the mishandling wow. of the of the um, of the investigation. Um, great guy, very good human. We were all sort of taken aback by his departure. But but we did not follow a the a process that allowed for a fair and equitable investigation. And I think um, my, my takeaway is you, you've got to leverage the expertise of the people around you. You have to really unpack what you're dealing with. And in, in cases like that, just from an equity perspective, you know, formal training is, is, is necessary for sure. But training on just, when you say training, you mean just training <laughs> on how to do that, how to leverage and listen to those around you and collaborate around things, correct? That's correct. I, you right. know, I'm not, I'm not a huge, um, people wouldn't describe me as a very traditional um, human resources professional. I, I'm pretty unorthodox. I, I have a very different approach. I, I, I don't describe myself as process oriented, but there are moments, and, and that was definitely one of them, where process was going to be your best friend. You needed to follow a methodical sort of way of, of, of investigating everything um, that needed to be looked into in order to get to the right outcome. And I think a lot of steps were missed. Interesting. Because no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that's interesting. And that, that's, you know, that, those are such tough situations. And I agree, you know, when you have something like that pop up, nobody has the expertise. No one's been through it before. So there's, you know, you, you, you really have to lean on, on internal and external resources to get through something like that. You know, I, I, sure. I agree more. Let's go to... Um, <clears throat> Heavy unionized. It's not something we discussed too much. You know, when I had my security company, I, I had a great run-ins with the labor's union and the steel workers, which was a ball. And if there's any steel oh, workers sure there, right? Well, I yeah. miss all the steel workers people and, and huge shout out to you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, you know, 
the unions, from my perspective, I try to negotiate in such an unorthodox way. And I was making big bets that I just freaked them out. They just, the, the, actually, the labor's union just said, forget it. This is no fun for us. We're just going to, I think they literally just didn't, they started to, to unionize a few of our security sites in Toronto and just said, oh, we're out of here. Forget this kid's too crazy. Uh, because with the, um, with my union negotiations, I mean, one of the things that I started to negotiate, which the union hated was I said, okay, well, if, if employees are paying you fees, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for your representation and you're making money off this and we're going to negotiate a contract, then, then I, I need two things in here. I need you to ensure that I have labor because you're supplying the labor and I need right. to ensure that I've qualified labor or you're going to pay a financial penalty. And they were like, what the, who the? You know, they just did right. not like that. Right. Right. <laughs> and it. so, yeah, it worked great. And and I was super unorthodox with my negotiation. I was at the table the whole time. And even when they were doing the ballots, I mean, it was, it was, it was neck and neck. They couldn't believe that I had turned union members that were like seven and 10 year um, unionized veterans, I'll call it to, to, yeah. to vote against them. And so they, they actually called the vote. We were tied six and six and they wanted to make a deal right away and so they said okay right. look let's just do it down to these locations not let's not blanket ontario they they knew they were going to lose or, or the potentially they could have lost so it was a lot of, i it was stressful it was unknown but it was fun what what was your experience with unions and what were the, what are the hr practices that you took forward uh from from being involved in that environment you know, for me, it was humanity. I, I, I was a, I took a, a very human approach. I, I appealed to rational ways of looking at people and things. I, I, you know, it was interesting. It was tumultuous at the beginning. And I was just like, who do these guys think they are? And, you know, we would, I remember a, 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 an example where we had an employee that we were performance managing and we had on a formal sort of PIP, a, a formal performance improvement plan. And, uh, you know, we were sort of at the end of the rope. We had collaborated with the union, which is what the collective agreement said we had to do every step of the way. Performance wasn't improving, a tenured employee. And we got to the very end of it and it was time to pull the plug. And we, we had dotted all of our I's and crossed our T's. I was fairly junior at that time. And I was like, okay, well, now I have to, you know, consult with the union rep on, on this case, just to say we're here, we're at the end of the rope. And unfortunately, we're going to have to part ways with the employee because the performance just hasn't improved. And I remember what went into to getting to that place where, again, we had to follow the, the, the law, uh, you know, tooth and nail in order to, to exit an, a tenured employee. But when we were there, even after having done it all right, you know, something came out of the woodwork. And I remember a union rep saying to me, you know, I actually think that there's a health issue here. And, um, and you know, kind of sprung it on me at the, at the, the 11th hour. And it had never come up before. And I remember getting into my first sort of heated uh, battle with the, the union president at the time, because, you know, I'd been very clear if, if that was the case, it needed to go a different route and, you know, we would need medical backup, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then it became something else. Another reason why we couldn't do it because obviously the employee couldn't substantiate a medical condition, but it got really ugly. And I just remember thinking, this is too hard. I, I don't, why do we have to go through this? We're trying to run a, uh, an efficient business here. And why does everything have to be a fight? You know, fast forward 10 years, I would say I, I am in touch with a lot of those union leads and guys that I had to, you know, hash it out with over the years. 
But my approach was, hey, Glenn, can we sit down and have a conversation about this off the record? I had a lot of off the record conversations and it was, here's our situation. This is not good for anybody. Tell me how we can fix this. How can we get to and, and make them feel like they were a part of the solution, which they were, um, without having to follow the, follow the letter of the law. And, right. and, and it worked for me. It, Look, it really did. Yeah, I, it, I, it couldn't, I couldn't agree more, right? Because yeah. everybody, when they feel union, it goes lawyer to union's lawyer. And there's yeah. no relationship building. I think you're so spot on these one-on-one yeah. -on -one meetings. Uh, you know, and you know, it's funny, Serena. I remember way back in the day when when I was getting into it too. I remember a funny email I wrote to one of the union guys said, "Hey, why don't you come to Halifax? You could stay at my house and we have a yeah. kitchen party and have some lobster sandwiches." And they were like, "Okay, I can't deal with this guy." <laughs> they were like, you know what? Hilarious because because when they like you, it becomes so hard for them, right? That's right. And one of the things I did and changed, and I, I totally take ownership for this because I think it changed the way we work, is when we'd have these union meetings, it would be management on one side of the room and there were these long rectangular tables. And right. then the union would sit on the other side of the room. And it was so, it was adversarial from the start, just in the way that we were set up, right? It looked and, like a Vladimir Putin meeting. Ever see Vladimir exactly. Putin was on one side? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly what it was like. And I remember saying, we're not doing this anymore. And when, and just that change and everyone was like, what are you talking about? And I said, we are going to sit on round tables. Okay. So right. we're going to configure the room differently. We're going to sit across, around a round table and we're going to talk and have hash things out this way. And it was just even the, the change in the way we sat that, that, that changed the dynamic in the room. And, and it became more, Hey guys. And then anyone want to go out for drinks later? Let's go I out for that. drinks later. I love it. And I didn't want to necessarily do that after fighting for four hours in a boardroom. Um, but that relationship piece was so key when you can, when you can build a, an actual relationship, know who, you know, somebody's kids are ask about someone's wife or husband. It definitely sort of brings people's guard down. And as we know, and, and um, by the end of it, we were, we were working very, very well together. For I, sure. I couldn't, I love yeah. that strategy. And I, I think that human to human, as you mentioned it so uh, eloquently, yeah. I think you're, you're totally right. And it's funny when you talk about the boardroom table versus the round table, I agree. And, you know, I'm very particular about the meeting environment, you know, and Maddie uh, would, would, could, could, uh, she would agree, you know, I, I, it's very rare that I meet in a boardroom, very rare, unless it's a very quick transactional meeting with someone I've already met a hundred times with. If it's relationship building time, I am in a, I'm in a, actually in a coach, uh, a comfortable chair. I go to a different meeting at our office where there's no table in between. It's a, it's a comfortable chair. You're sitting back, you feel more relaxed, you're more comfortable. And I think people don't put enough stock into small little micro items like that about where you're sitting, how you're sitting. I, I, I think people miss that completely and there's huge value. I agree. I completely agree. I, I think space is everything. I mean, that might sort of lead us to, you know, one of the things that I know you want to talk about. You know, we're, we're going through a very um, interesting, complicated time right now as we start to reintegrate or encourage people back into our office spaces. And, and we're actually trying not to say encourage people back to work because I don't think they're going back to something that, um, you know, that they used to live. I think they're coming 
into work in a, in a very different sort of hybrid environment under different conditions. And so it's a new experience for everyone. But one of the biggest factors right now, one of the biggest things that we're trying to figure out is how to do this in a way that encur encourages people to, to you know, want to return to the office. And space is, is where we're putting a lot of our investment big open spaces, you know, boardrooms, you know, on the interior, the exterior is just, you know, big round tables, lots of greenery, you know, close to a ton of sunlight because that actually fosters collaboration. It fosters, you know, relationship building. It, it, it makes people, uh, you know, feel like they can ideate together and create. And we're a creative environment. We, you know, and and we want to ensure that we we're, we're giving that to our people. Um, but space is everything. I, I completely agree with you. And in setting your space up in a way that makes people feel encouraged to want to be there, I think is hugely important. Remember the days when company culture was defined by how many foosball tables and weekly happy hours there were? Today, employees expect more. That's why Empyrean empowers organizations to build a better culture by connecting employees to meaningful, life-enriching benefits. Benefits that allow your employees to be their best selves, both in and outside the workplace. Is your benefits function positively impacting company culture? Take Empyrean's online benefits maturity assessment to see how you measure up and where you can take a more strategic approach. A better workplace culture starts with benefits. So visit goempyrean.com to take the assessment and start building a better culture through benefits that actually matter. Empyrean, where real benefits live. So, uh, yeah, and, and I want to come back. I want to come back to the office. I want to keep going on your on some of your history stuff because I, I really sure. like these topics, if that's okay. Of course, of course. I want to go to, um, look, CBC, one more thing that I want to discuss. Obviously, that environment was up, down, let people go higher, like just all over the map, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. So what did you, what was the learning from that as far as, you know, we're going into that environment again, you know, this company's like 100,000 and usually it's the tech companies that are going first. What are you seeing? What, what are companies doing right? What are they doing wrong? What did you learn from the mass, um, you know, cleaning up of the org chart and, and uh, layoffs? What, what did you learn from that? And what, what, what's going right? What's going wrong in the world today as far as leaders and, and whether it's messaging, how they're executing on it? What, do, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? You know, it's, I feel like these are, un, right now, I feel like these are unprecedented times. I can speak about my CBC experience. They were, you know, we were, because we were fed, federally funded, we would get, you know, hit with, you need to find, you know, this much money in savings because we're cutting your budgets by this much. And so I was very, very familiar with mass layoffs, sadly, and unfortunately, and it was the worst part of my job, of course. Um, but because we were unionized, going about how we would lay off was pretty prescribed and we had to uh, right. we, we had to follow again the 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 and so we had to get really creative and and so even in an environment where it was pretty prescriptive how we would lay off and again it would be the most ju junior people out first and in many cases as we were trying to evolve as an organization and operate a little bit more like a profitable business in our programming and really tried to make money it was very difficult when cuts happened to ha have to lay off, you know, our, our most junior people or, or the people who had entered the organization, you know, last. Um, because right, often some of those could be your brightest. It's oh, not my your, God. They, they, they could be your A players. Were. 
Of yeah. course they were. They were, you know, they had subject matter expertise and we were, you know, we were evolving to become a lot more digital. They had, you know, the formal digital training. Um, and we, we would have to keep, you know, very tenured employees who were wonderful and who, who would teach um, our younger people, our newer people, you know, all of the things they needed to know about broadcast media. Um, but in some cases, that wasn't the case. We had people that were kind of coasting, that were sitting in, in jobs for, for a really long time that had no intention of going anywhere. So, you know, we had to look at things like how can we work with that group of people who, who have kind of been with the organization for a really long time, who are incredibly valued, um, but say, hey, let's make some space for, for some of these people that are right. coming in who are going to help drive our organization forward. Let's appeal to your passion for the organization you work, because what I'll tell you is when I talk about CBC, I still say we, um, because when right. you work for that organization, you you're, you believe in it. That's the, the station that my parents came and, and was, were watching with three Channels as immigrants to the country, and I was I was very I was very proud to work for right. the, the Canadian Broadcasting Organization. So it gets in your veins, right? And so if you appeal to people's passion and and let's make this company amazing, depending on who's in power, you know, there are there there are parties that want to abolish the CBC entirely. And if we want to make it great and continue to have it grow, let's let's figure out how we do that together. And right. so we we would incentivize. We we looked at hey we we you know how about we incentivize you with this um, so that we can make room to keep the and those were some serious negotiations, um, but it worked. People you know their pride in the brand and wanting to see the CBC do well allowed a lot of people to go to put their hands up and go you know no no, no don't don't let go of that individual I'm putting my hand up you thank you for this you know incentive I'm going to take it and we ran programs like that every time we had to do um, mass layoffs so it was good yeah. it was great today I think the planet is going through I think it's I, I, if, if anybody has all the answers, I'd love to speak to them because it's complicated. We, you know, it's a, it, the pandemic changed uh, the way we work. And I don't know that we're listening enough to our people. Um, you know, we're everybody's scrambling right now. You're seeing cuts are happening all around. You know, we, we're also in a position right now where we have to find efficiencies. Um, and you know, last year it was the great resignation and people were dropping like flies and taking different jobs and just exiting in, in the in the masses. Right. And I, we couldn't hire fast enough. We couldn't find the talent. And then you, you find the talent, you hire, you know, retention rates start to stabilize. And all of a sudden is, all of a sudden it's, you know, we overhired and now, you know, we're, we're not meeting our financials and we have to make some really tough decisions and find efficiencies. And then it's, it's straight to the, you know, the, the tendency as C-suite is to go right to the bottom line, where I think what we need to do is figure out, try and understand what our people need, what they're feeling. And I don't, I'm not a big believer in overcompensation, but I do think that we need to co-create. I think we need to figure this out together. And, and so a lot of listening sessions, a lot of, you know, we might be over surveying and I don't know that that's always a good thing, but just really trying to understand how people are feeling right now so we can build plans around what, what we want to see in the end. Well, it's funny uh, as you're talking, it, it, the pendulum swung, right? Because it, yeah. you know, in the last 12 months, it was great resignation, which to me was just a 
that's a labeling, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I just have yeah. the labeling of people that want to try something new, you know, exactly. I think it, it fast tracked that process of people looking in the mirror saying, I'm not happy here. It is time to make a change <laughs> combined with people retiring because they just had enough. It was combined with people, <clears throat> tech companies and different companies being able to pay more. And so people exiting based on, on pay. I heard a lot of those people have gone back, but the pendulum has swung to, you know, I'm happy that I'm just working. After I read the headlines and all these laughs, geez, how, how's my own company doing? Maybe I have an eye in the finance, maybe I don't. But I think that now people are a little like, no, I'm just kind of happy I'm in a job right now. Start, that feeling is starting to come back, which is a nice, I think it's a, it should be balanced. It shouldn't be on one side or the other. Would you agree? I totally agree. And I think what what's happening is you're absolutely right. People are saying, no, I'm happy to have a job. I'm grateful. But putting some boundaries around, you know, how they, how they show up. Right. And, and that has been labeled too. It's been labeled right. quiet quitting. So I was actually, I'm in LA because I was doing a panel at a, at a, at an ad color. It's an advertising um, organization um, event. And it was a three-day conference. And I was, I was on a panel related to quiet quitting. And, and my view on that is, you know, it, it has a very negative connotation to it just by the, the words quiet quitting. Um, but it, it's, it, it's an engagement thing. It's always existed. And, and so you're right about the, the labels. I think we're just trying to call things, things. And, and really we've got, you know, how do we engage the the world has changed and we've had to pivot. We've, you know, I think we're all struggling with a little bit of PTSD following three years of, you know, chaos around, uh, you know, so how do we take a different approach with our people knowing that everyone's kind of going through that? And, 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 and so it's not quiet quitting. I, I think people are, you know, putting some boundaries, you know, I, it, I, I don't necessarily want to work a 15 hour day. I've got two children at home. The, if the pandemic did anything, it made me realize the importance of my family and, and really being present for my kids. And, and so I, even I've had to put some boundaries around that. You know what? I'm going to check out at six. I'm going to give my kids two hours and then I'm going to go back online, you know, at eight. And, and that way I've given them some undivided attention. Now, if I'm needed in those two hours, sure. I, I work in the C-suite. I know what my obligations are, but there are many people who are saying, you know, I'm not getting paid enough to be burning myself out. Um, you know, my mental health is more important to me than, than everything I was giving. And, and, and I gave 150%. And I never got that. I didn't get that promotion. And I'm not getting that salary increase that I needed. And so people are saying, I'm not doing, I don't, I'm not, I'm going to come in. I'm going to, I'm going to work my, my hours. I'm going to fulfill my job description, but I'm going to have some parameters and some boundaries around that. And so it's a, it's a, it's a very debatable topic. Um, but yeah, I think people are, are struggling with engagement right now. So organizations need to focus on how to re-engage their people. Yeah, I agree. I, I, uh, I was, you know, I always say that there's, there's this, there's this, triangle, right? Like I'll call this the golden triangle of happiness at work. And I think that there's three aspects and I think I'm ready to add a fourth and maybe it tucks into one of these three. We can talk about this. So one is one of the three that's critical is you need to really enjoy or love your leadership, leadership team, the the, the people you follow. That's critically important. Okay. That's one. Two is 
you have to like the job that you do for the most part. It doesn't mean you don't have an asp aspect that you don't like, but for the most part, you like the day-to-day. -day. You're, you're excited to go to work, okay? And then three is the, the team and company culture. That right. is very important. If you don't have those three, it's death by a thousand cuts. And, and that can move faster. If you don't have any of the three, you're out of there fast. Two of the three, you know, if you're missing two of the three, you're, you're, you're still up pretty fast. One of the three, it's a, it takes a little longer. The, the, the fourth that I would either add or tuck into company culture is people's well-being, their mental health, their boundaries, their, how, their family life and personal life and that, that balance. And I think that it's also a component that now people need to think about. That's the part that we're trying to figure out, you know, that, that right. And, and so let me go to you for a second on that, because <clears throat> I'm interested in how you've, you've been incredibly successful in your career and, and um, involved in the C-suite, but you, you left and went out on your own for a little bit for two years, I believe. Right. I did, yeah, for just over two years. So I want I want to talk about two things. Um, one, tell me about how that the intersection of your you have two twin daughters, and so your daughters would have been maybe just five or six at the five, time. Five, yeah, they were right. five. Okay. When I, yeah, when I parted right. ways with the CDC. Tough age, you know. Was mm -hmm. it easier with the family when you were home as an entrepreneur, or not? Were you working more? I'm just curious on how that, what the impacts of corporate versus entrepreneurship. Uh, and I know you, you were more of a consultant, I think, or I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, so I was. I, I was right. yeah. Um, yeah. So corporate, corporate, you're on. You know, there are you report to leadership. So the expectations of your leader are what you're trying to fulfill, right? And and I I agree with your triangle and and even the fourth component. I think your leadership is everything. I think at the CBC we had very traditional ways of working, and so um, but we were a news operation, a 24 hour news environment, and news breaks at any given time. Right. So if we have a crisis in Afghanistan where one of our reporters has, has just been kidnapped, it's all hands on deck, which actually happened, by the way. Um, by uh, We had a reporter be kidnapped by the Taliban and we had to you know, get into a, we called it a war room and it was negotiations with, um, you know, Al Qaeda. Like it was, it was, very serious stuff. And as, as a very senior leader within the organization, I had to be at that table as we strategized about how we were gonna keep our journalists safe and how we were gonna get our employee back. Um, and and it, was, it was insane. And those were 15, I kid you not, 20 hour days. Now a crisis like that doesn't happen all the time, but you're, you're, you're getting paid to be on. And, and for me, I, the first five years of my children's life after maternity leave, because I did take my, my full maternity, um, or the first, so the first four years, my career, my career's always been very important to me, but it was, it, it dominated a lot of my time. And, um, you know, it was a stressful environment. And so I would, I would say my, my mental health was 100% impacted. But then when you add on mother's guilt, that feeling of, I've got these two little girls at home that I, I am not focused on. I can't because I have so much on my brain right now. That that also takes a toll. And so I was living with, oh my God, the burden of the pressures of work. And, and because work was so important to me and I wanted to, you know, grow and achieve and 
I've always been that type of human, I was focused on it. And I tried to be the very best mother I could. But I, I think what I was doing was that was in my downtime, my off time. And so when, you know, I lost my job and in the worst way, it was it was a very, you know, there was a bit of an uproar because I, I was very well known. The union came to my defense, ironically, and wow. you know, all of our it was crazy. And the and because of how it happened, and and the decision was made by somebody who didn't know me and and quite personal, quite frankly, didn't care. Um, it ended up being you know very traumatizing. And and what it forced me to do was stop, pause, think about what was really important. And to me, it was those two little girls. And 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 figure out what the next chapter was going to look like, and and so I was I was going through emotions. I was like, I'm never going back to corp to corporate, but it, the work the the consulting thing initially was that's going to give me some time to do a little project over here and a little project over here, and then I can you know really dedicate my time to my children. Um, and that's but how came it with started. uncertainty, right? Can yeah, I pay the bills because I might not have a customer tomorrow? So a balance of flexibility <sighs> but uncertainty. A hundred percent. That was, I would, I would say that <clears throat> that was the hardest part for me. It was, and it was that feeling of failure. And it was that feeling of, this is a pretty public thing. Um, and am I going to get an, another job again? It was like, I, I went through so much in, in that time. And, and, and then, um, Trina, you know, yes. Sorry to interrupt. What's, yeah. what was the obviously, you know, emotional roller coaster probably a punch in the gut confidence stealer. Okay. You, oh, yeah. you had to be at a low place from a confidence perspective. What are some totally. of the things that you, if you take yourself back there, what were some of the key things to help you rebuild your confidence? You know, cause that's happened to a lot of people. I, I, you know, I know lots that have had that rug pulled from under them. It's the worst I've seen it. And it's, you know, even five years after that, you go back to the conversation when someone's in a job they love and they could tear up, you know, it's- Oh, still I, I will cry. Yeah, no, I, I actually, when I think about that time, I realized that, you know, you you talked about one of the, the, the three points in your triangle was you have to love what you do, right? And, and because I'm a very feeling sort of passionate person, I loved what I was doing. I, I, I thrived in the chaos. I liked fixing problems and problem solving. And, you know, I talk about being in a war room and having something like a crisis around me. And I was, my energy and my adrenaline was, was everything. So, I had ident my entire identity, this is what I learned, was tied to the organization, to my job. And that's where I went wrong. When I look back at, you know, why it hit me so hard to, to lose the job was because every, I was so invested and I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't be so invested in their careers. I think you, you should be, and you should, you know, but not to, but I think it's important to have objectivity and balance and, and, and work actively to ensure that you have that because I, I didn't, I put everything and all my eggs in one place. And, and so when it, when, when the rug was pulled out, I was in shock. I went through the whole wheel of, you know, uh, emotions. I, yeah. I, I went through, I, I would, I would argue I, I, I was depressed. I, I, that confidence piece, um, I'm a, I, I'm a confident woman. I, I, you know, and I, I had to rebuild it because I, it, it went away. I, I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I, you know, my husband, 
at that time at the time was a, a, and is a very successful businessman. So it wasn't how am I going to pay the bills? That actually wasn't um, my my thing. It because thankfully I was in a position where we were okay. You know, the business was doing really well, and and that was fine. But it was who who am I? I don't even know who I am anymore. And I I felt like that was stripped of me. Well, I was just going to say, and, and look, yeah. I, I understand and I appreciate you saying that. Look, I, it wasn't about putting bread on the table, but there has yeah. to be this, um, there has to be, okay, fine. You know, the mortgage is paid. That's great. <laughs> you know, check that box. But but internally, as you went on your own, to, to, to you know, there, there has to be this, you know, self-worth imposter syndrome if For the sure. next client doesn't come because then it's like, well, just, I just do this, but I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm, I'm judging myself whether I'm successful, whether I have to put bread on the table or not. There, there's a, there's a lot of pressure. I assume you put on yourself to say, uh, you know, does that make sense? It 100% does. When, when I was getting gigs, little, you know, projects, some of the work that I was being offered was stuff I had done a decade ago in a very junior capacity. And so someone was paying me an hourly rate to do work. Not that I humble pie for you. Yes. And that was, that was, um, very, uh, eye-opening. It also really impacted my self-esteem. It did like where, Oh my God. And, and then I was like, and, and so it, what everything you said is bang on. I, I felt all of those things. I was very uncertain about sort of where it was going to go from there, who would hire me, what type of work I would get. And I remember I ended up getting a gig with a, a private equity company and it was, you know, they were paying me a, a large amount of money hourly and it was, it was good. It was great. But the work they had me doing was, you know, very administrative in nature. And if you know, Serena, I am not in it. My attention to detail, admin, like that's not my strength. And, and, and so I was doing these things and working in Excel and, you know, spreadsheets. And I was like, I don't <laughs> actually know how to do this. I I'm sweating. By the way, yeah. I'm sweating. Cause I hate Excel. I'm sweating right now. Thank I'm you. I'm sweating. I was, I used to sweat every day. Cause I was like, how do I fake this? <laughs> it was imposter syndrome to the max. So I was like, I, I'm, I'm getting paid a lot of money to perform a, 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 a role, but this is out of my scope. I, 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 I don't know how. And, but it also made me feel like, oh God, what's, what's happened here? Like, this is not, you know, and that's when I started to get the itch to go back to real work, but I had to question whether or not I was even capable at that time. Ah, that's guess, forced. That was my next question. Why, yes. why then to leave that? To, so it was, it sounds like it was more, I just don't love this work. I, I can't be as choosy. I'm not in my zone of genius. Let's call it my strike zone. I'm yeah. kind of forced to do these other things. I need to go get back to that. And is that? That's exactly, that's exactly what happened. And, and I was like, but who's going to hire me? I was fired from the CBC after a 12 year career where I was on this trajectory. And you only had union friends at this point. <laughs> only union friends who I still am in touch with. On, the only Hello union. I ever Hello, we love you union. We love yeah. you. Exactly. It was, it was rough. Um, um, but then I, I think it was my, you know, I was in, a friend of mine, a very, very close friend of mine worked for this organization, uh, this tech company, and he had reached out saying, hey, we're looking for a vice president of people and culture. Um, it's a global role, Serena, and I think you should meet 
the CEO. And I, and I said, okay, you know, and he's like, I, you know, you never know one one thing could lead to the other. And I ended up doing that. I think I met with the COO first and then the CEO and had a series of interviews and, you know, um, I was trying to rebuild my confidence, trying to remember what I was good at and sell it to, uh, to them. And I thought, you know, my, my very close friend works here. He's had, you know, he's been here for a long time. He loves it. And so let me see. And, and then one thing led to another and they gave me the job. They handed me the offer and I was very, very excited about it and from a, you know, uh, on my resume, vice president, global role, it was a, it was a good job. And, and then, you know, I remember being in a, in a boardroom and I was speaking and I, I, I was saying something about culture and engagement. These guys had a gla had glass door reviews that were horrid. So that actually intrigued me because I thought, okay, here's a problem for me to fix. Let me work, go into this organization to help build culture. I think they have like a two-star rating on Glassdoor. And when you read them, it's just a nightmare. And then I was sitting at the table and I leaned in and it was all men. So the entire executive team were men. And I was the only woman in the room. And I remember, you know, starting to speak and the CEO kind of shooed me with his hand. Oh, a little, a little was, hushing of the hand. Uh, like I, a hush, like he didn't want me to talk. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, shh, kind of thing. And I remember going, what just happened? What just happened? And I remember at the time I was in, I was actually um, on a holiday. So I had a, a pre-booked a holiday and I, and I left and I was in LA, my, my favorite place, clearly. And the, I remember looking at my husband saying, I think I made the wrong call. It took me two and a half years to land a job on paper. It looks like, you know, everything. It's exactly what I need. It'll help me get to my next thing, but I need to give it a year. Like I have to be here for a year in order for it to be substantive and, and for me to land somewhere else. And he just looked at me and he's like, what's wrong with you? He's like, after everything you went through at the CBC, if you hate this, right. leave right? If you, if you hate this leave, and I just remember having like a moment of panic going, what did I do? And, and I had had many of those shoeing examples and, you know, it was just clearly not the, the place for me. And, note to and self, I, don't note, shoe Serena. Don't, don't shoe me. Okay. <laughs> but, but what, and it was just, it was, it was, I know I didn't have a voice. And so what, what right, impact was I going to have? organization and and I was very unhappy very fast and and that was not a good sign and he when he when he looked at me it calmed me down I was like you're absolutely right um and and so I crazily and I, I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason um and when you're when you need something it comes to you when when you need it I kid you not I, re I received an email from a former colleague very very a senior executive who's now at Rogers and runs sales at Rogers Media. Um, and he called me and said, hey, Serena, you know, I want to introduce you to my buddy. He's looking for a head of HR. I saw on your, your LinkedIn that you're, you've just taken, I was like, no, no, don't finish your sentence. <laughs> introduce us. And he did. And again, they, one thing, like literally I went in for an interview at, you know, 8 a.m. By 11, I had the offer in my inbox. So it was great. Wow. It was great. Yeah, it was great. The That's world great. comes to us when, you know, when you're a good person yes. and you're doing good things, the world will reach out and, and help you, you know, give you a helping hand. I, I, I love that story. And, and I, uh, kudos, you know, to your partner who, uh, objectively saw things clearly during a moment of chaos and, yeah. and, and the other lesson is passive aggressiveness isn't just in text and, and voice it's in body language and, and, 
I think that's important for leaders to understand. It's not just in your tone or what or the words that you say. Passive aggressive and bullshit behavior that 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 comes in all different forms. And, uh, it really does. It really yeah. does. And when I talk to people now, when I do panels or when I have conversations, even you know, we've just uh, we've launched a, a program called Launchpad, where we're bringing in non-traditional media uh, talent into the media industry, and there are people from you know all kinds of places who wouldn't typically have access to media advertising. I you know I do a session with them when they start in their training. And, and, and that's what I say. I mean, choose, you know, companies are choosing you, but you're choosing the company as well. It's a, it's a two-way street. And we, we have to make sure that, you know, as you're assessing, make sure that there's a connection there. Make sure that the leadership is representative of, of what you're looking for. I, um, that is, that was my biggest takeaway. Who, well, who, Serena, who, can you, yeah, that was yeah. my, my, my kind of final place I was going is sure. just for those, and, and I get, I understand what you're saying, but bring us through, go back in time. What are the actions you take to uncover that, to, to, to ensure that there's alignment, right? Because I, I agree, make sure there's alignment. Yeah. But talk to knowing logically, knowing what you know today, what are the actions you would have taken uh, to get to a place where you wouldn't have taken that job? What are those things that you would, that you would do? So ask really tough questions. I, I think I think we when you're on the other side of the table and you're being interviewed, we think we're here to sell ourselves. And 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 we are, of course. We, you know, here's what I bring to the table, here's why you should hire me. Um, but I think that period of time when you're going through that interview process, and now it's it's not just one interview and you get a job. I think through the Great Resignation it might have been, um, or when people were turning over very quickly. But I think it's it's talk to me about your your DEI strategy. You know, what is the company's mission? What 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 are you what are you looking to achieve in the course? You know, in the short term and in the longer term, it's. I think you have to go equipped with what's important to you and ask questions, um, a lot of them. And I think, you know, in that interview process, you, you, will, you will get, when, you're, when, you, when it's a two-way dialogue, you'll start to be able to see, um, you know, is this a leader I can work for? What does my leader stand for? Because I think first and foremost, we know people don't leave organizations. They leave their managers, right? Their leaders. Yeah. So get to understand who you're working for. That That's critically important. And then have it evolve to talk to me about the organization, the values of this organization, you know, the importance of your, you know, do you have ERGs? What, what, are, what place do they have? within the organization? What does engagement look like? You know, and, 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 and put the leaders on the spot to answer. I love when people ask me those questions um, because I, they get to see who I am. And, and there are people who, who might feel like, mm, yeah, I don't know if that works for me. Or, you know, I think it's a two way. And I think you have to go prepared. I think you do your research. I think you look at things um, out there. I'm not a big glass door person. Um, when I was researching for that company at the time, I did look at that, but actually it was reason, the reason I wanted that job because um, I thought I could help fix it. Solve and problem, it in the, right. Yeah, solve the problem. But it's it's just research and, and communication and chemistry and make sure, you know, the things that you care the most about. In my organization, the average age is 25 to I think 35. And, if, and so, you know, 
a lot of our population in that demographic are, you know, activists. They care about, right. you know, they want to work, perform their jobs, but they also want to be connected to a cause. And so one of the things that we're really paying a lot of attention to is that need, that desire to give back. You know, when when George Floyd was killed, um, and this was very shortly after it happened, and I was appointed to the role, this U.S.-based role, um, you know, during a, a racial uprising not just within the US, but across the world. And, and I remember asking, you know, my global lead at the time, like, what are what are we doing? What, what, what programs do we have in place? What education is there? How are we um, removing bias in the workplace? What's our commitment? Do we have metrics attached to um, accountability, making sure that we are doing everything possible to diversify the, the, the workforce? And, you know, I asked a lot Great of questions. questions. Great yeah, question. you know, and I think that's what I think that's what we need to do um, more of so that you can see whether there is an alignment. And let me bring a, so another point that I think is helpful in this because, I, you know, I had a, an interview yesterday with, with um, um, a very bright individual named Maggie. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was saying, look, look, we're talking about the culture. We've had a few meetings now but it's now your turn to go talk to individuals at the company and make sure that I'm not BSing you. You better go look under the hood. That's your job, you know? Yep. And in our, you know, what we started to do in our um, job advertisements is we, we give employee current employee references. And then I actually added a link. I had a uh, Andrew Dart, who's um, I had lunch with yesterday. Great, great mm -hmm. leader in our business. And we, I interviewed him and in, in, in had a podcast, that, you know, because I talk a lot about our company culture. And I thought, you know, not just for the guests, but this is a, a tool to be able to use for the future. And, and we post this on our ads to say, and look, you don't believe us. Here's an interview with one of our staff members, you know? Um, I love that. I love yeah. that. You do that. Yeah. I love it. I love that. And so I, I feel like that's also, I mean, because you, you have access to information. Yes. You can ch check glass door, but I think, it would have also been helpful if you said, here, give me three employees. I want to talk to them. I want to have copies with them. And and, mm -hmm. and you ask very tough questions. And that would have been the format where I think you could have done that, correct? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And when you think about Glassdoor, you know, most people who go to, go to Glassdoor are unhappy about something. Right, so they're right. going to write about it. Right. That's and, right. And, and, and that's why, you know, we, when we, even when we're, when people are leaving the organization, we, we put a lot of emphasis or the, 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 the teams did on exit interviews and yes, they're helpful for sure. We can build strategies to sort of address the themes that come out of exit interviews. But what about stay interviews? Let's right. talk to people about why they're here, why they why they're with us, what 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 keeps them here. And so we do stay interviews as well. Let's and and so I love that you you have links to to actual testimonials from existing employees who are just happy to be there and can back up all of the things that you've said about the culture. So I think that's great. Amazing. Well, Serena, look, I've uh, I've loved this conversation. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I know we went in a few different directions, really unpacked your story, which I thought was fascinating. And uh, we covered all kinds of topics. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to to join us. And yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And, and thank thanks for your you time so today. much. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, I, I appreciated being here. Loved the conversation. You need to keep doing what you're doing. I might want to pick your brain a bit as we start to evolve, because clearly you have um, you know, some of the answers and, and uh, congratulations on, on your huge successes. I think that's awesome. And it was really nice to meet. Really nice thanks. to meet you.
Thank you, Serena. For more information about Serena, please follow her on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or our Scaling Culture Masterclass about how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team, please go to scalingculture.org. And to learn more about our sponsor of this episode, Empyrean, please go to goempyrean.com. G-O-E-M-P-Y-R-E-A-N.com. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest. Yes.